0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. I'm Maddie, your host, speaker, and very passionate speech-language pathology advocate. You are listening to the Speechless SLP series with Vanessa Abraham, and you get a unique perspective in each one of these episodes on her journey being the speechless SLP in the ICU bed, unable to talk. So welcome to this series of the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. Glad you are here. Sit back, take a listen. Welcome to this episode of the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. We are with our Speechless series and wow, I'm so excited to be introducing for the first time ever. We have physical therapists coming on our episode. So welcome everybody.
1: Hi, thank you.
0: So before we start, because we are introducing new people, I want you guys to get to know the voices that you're going to be listening to. So I'm going to have Vanessa introduce herself. She is our Speechless SLP. And then we'll move to Tara and Jess. This
1: is Vanessa. I'm the Speechless SLP patient. And Vanessa? This is Vanessa. I'm the Speechless SLP and patient. I've worked in the school setting for about Oh, 15 years as a school-based speech pathologist, and then I
2: turned patient.
0: And that's why we have this episode, this whole series.
2: Tara. Hi, I'm Tara Karazi, and I'm a physical therapist. I've been in the hospital setting for over five years now, and I was lucky enough to be one of the physical therapists to work with Vanessa. Wonderful.
0: Jess. I'm
3: Jessica O'Brien, and I have been a PT... gosh, eight years now. I've been at UCSD in the acute care setting for six years. And um, I worked alongside Tara and we got to see Vanessa through um,
0: this whole experience. so. So what was it like treating another therapist when you first found out she was an SLP? What were your first thoughts that went through your mind? Jess?
3: Yeah, you know, we do our chart reviews. We open up the chart. And when I saw that she was an SLP, it just changes your perspective. She was a new mom. Um, well, Mackenzie was three, right, Vanessa? I don't know. I feel like just doing that chart, you sort of get a picture in your head of what you're going to be walking into. And I I think her being an SLP and being in the therapy realm definitely touched my heart a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Not that all of our patients don't, but it definitely tugged a little bit more at my heart. So
2: Tara. Absolutely. Jess was um, Vanessa's primary physical therapist and she had asked me to fill in. Um, I think if my memory serves me right, she, you were going to be gone for a couple, couple days, Jess. So I, I was filling in for Jess during that time. And just from the way that she hand did her, you, we, she gave me such a, a thorough handoff on Vanessa. And just the way that she did, I could tell this was a really special case. And her being an SLP just really affected, I could tell everyone who had already been working with her. And of course I came in into it with a very, it, it was even more delicate because I feel like we all, it, it was such an easily relatable case. We could mm-hmm. all see ourselves in that hospital room, in that ICU room when we mm-hmm. when we saw and, and met Vanessa. Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's one of the reasons why this series is so well received is all of us can picture ourselves in Vanessa's position. And Jess, I love how you pull in not just the patient in the bed, but the, the woman, the mother, the wife, mm-hmm. all of these things that made Vanessa just that much, and, and we're all we all treat our patients like that. We, we see everybody in the wholeness, we try to incorporate all of that. Tell me what it was like for those who are newer to the physical therapy and, and in just the medical SLP setting. What is it that SLPTs uh, are primarily responsible for in the acute care, intensive care setting? Jess, do you want to answer that one since you are the primary? Okay.
3: Yeah. So Tara and I both have worked a lot in the CCU, which at UCSD, the CCU is a 13 bed ICU. It's our medical ICU, but it's also our um, cardiac care ICU. And at the time when Vanessa was there, we were having a little bit of neuro inflow too. Um, so we have a trauma ICU and then the critical care unit. Um, so we were up on the critical care unit primarily when we, um, evaluate patients there. We're looking at a lot of things, right? They have a lot of lines. They have a lot of drains. Sometimes they're on ventilators. So we do a morning rounding, which is just a flash rounds with the physicians. The speech therapists are also there. And I love that morning round because we kind of get a brief little window of how the patients are today because in the ICU, patients are changing stability-wise every day. So it gives us kind of a picture on. How day days going to look, if they have any procedures, um, if they're stable enough to work with us. Our jobs as physical therapists, I think, is just in the ICU setting is um, just to start out with the basics. A lot of times I like to just start with bed level things, sitting up, assessing their postural control, and then we progress from there. But I think what's most important in, in an ICU setting, especially if there's family involved, like Vanessa's husband, Dale, was um, involved right from the beginning, is figuring out what their goals are, Um, because I think there's a lot of emotions and a lot of stuff going on when you're a patient in the ICU, right, Vanessa? And I I think the first thing I did probably was talk to Dale and try to get a little bit more information about who Vanessa is as a person and what's important to her and what her goals would be. And I think that's the most important thing we can do in an ICU is just bring back the patient's goals because they're going through a lot. And if we can incorporate those into what we're doing every day, but make it functional, then I think we've done a good job. If we, if we start with that.
2: Wonderful.
0: Tara, anything to add?
2: No, that was well said. I think that with all the craziness that's happening in the ICU, uh, we as therapists, our role is a really special one because we can refocus things into function and meaningful tasks in the ICU. And then once they're out of the ICU and just refocus them into life, life outside of the hospital. Um, and that it is hard to do and to kind of think that way when you're just in the midst of it. But uh, I think we have a really special role in that.
0: I'm dying to ask you, Vanessa, because one of the things that you and I have in common is we've both been the patients in, in the bed. And I remember in my trauma bed, the physical therapists walking up and they're like, okay, we need you to do this. I'm like, what? <laughs> what was your perspective, Vanessa?
1: Well, one of the things that I do remember, and I don't even know if Jess and Tara remember this, but being a school-based SLP, I was very motivated. I think these two girls would re- re- would remember how motivated I was. But I remember asking my husband, how can I get PT twice a day? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I wasn't in any condition to do it twice, but I was so motivated, all I kept thinking was, I don't want to continue to live like this. Mm-hmm. I need to work hard. I need to get out of here, and the only way I'm going to get out of here is if these girls are in here all the time. So I remember making that request. I don't think I got it. I know I didn't get it, but you know, it's just not realistic and you mm-hmm. have time to rest, and there's all these other procedures and doctors and everybody coming in and out of your room and therapists and I was just so motivated. I just, I didn't want to be there. And just the SLP knowledge that I had, that I knew that I've got to work to get out of here. Mm -hmm. So what do you do, PTs,
0: when you have a client patient who is not as motivated as Vanessa? How do you get that buy-in from the patient and their family?
2: This is Tara. I think that it is so case by case because oftentimes we don't, the patients don't always have a supportive family system, especially the hospital that we Jess and I work at. So it takes a lot of exploring and and having those conversations uh, or just observations or conversations with nursing if the patient isn't able to give us that information as to what what really does motivate the patient, what signs have we seen that does motivate the patient. Sometimes it's um, food or just sitting up or uh, you know, watching their favorite show or talking on the phone to a, a loved one, it, there's so many different things that are meaningful for different people, so it, it does take it takes some investigation to figure out that what that piece is. But once you do, and you do start building that rapport, it it makes of course, a world of a difference in in what in the care that we're providing and and the progress that we make.
3: I was just going to say, I feel like I'm a detective half the time because we're always trying (laughs) to figure out Mm -hmm. what can we do to motivate someone and kind of trick them into doing what we want them to do, but um, while achieving something else. So for example, today I had a patient up in the ICU and sitting has been really difficult. Her trunk control isn't great, but she's been here for 10 days and I was like, let's do a spa day. We just are going to do a spa day. She really wanted Uh to be here. We were able to work on her sitting balance while doing other things. So I think it, like Tara said, it's just investigating and and talking to the people that are with her. Because I think as therapists, we get more time with our patients than Mm -hmm. the doctors do. Sometimes they're so busy and they're in and out. But I do think that the nurses get more time, obviously, with the patients than we do. So I think just collaborating with the whole team, you know, we talk to our OTs and our speech therapists a lot about our patients and just being close with the nurses too. And they, they know a lot more about the patients because they're with them for a whole 12 hour shifts.
0: They do. It's funny you say detective because when I teach my classes, I'm always like, okay, we are playing Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. And these are the clues that we're going to pull together and definitely including who they are, what it motivates them. Is so important.
2: Like what Jess was saying, is the speech therapist really sometimes can give us such great information because they are, ah. are truly digging into that cognitive and speech mm-hmm. piece of things. So we, I, I, I've relied on on the speech therapist so many times to to give us that valuable information too.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Do you guys do a lot of co treating
0: in ICU with SLPs? I. I think OTs do it a little bit
3: more with the SLPs um, co-treating. I would say PT and OT co-treat more just mm-hmm. uh, because some of our patients level mobility and the amount of assistance they need. But I know OTs. I don't know, Tara, what, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I think um, it's not as common, but it definitely can be of benefit because if for example if as a, ther- a PT we're working on the gross motor modal- motor aspect of things um working on sitting balance sometimes the speech therapist is is hoping to get that patient upright to do to doing like a, a swallow study or whatever right. that they had have planned so if we're working on that upright sitting balance and then they can they can do their assessment in that position we're kind of both doing um our, our, P, our parts at, simultaneously, and it, it's a lot of value.
1: I have a memory of you guys and O.T. walking down the aisle, walking around. With but a neck nice collar. Yes, and I, but I don't have any memories of you guys and speech at the same time. So P.T. and
0: O.T., but not as much speech.
1: Yeah, just more of the motor aspect.
0: Is, is there an aspect... an opportunity for collaboration upon reflection that we can learn from, Vanessa? Because I know we've got a lot of grad students and professors and a lot of people listening to this.
1: You know, I think they were all doing a very good job. Um, You know, there's so many times that I was so heavily sedated, I don't know what was going on around me. But I think that collaboration between the therapists... And the family is so huge because, well, not only the family, but the nursing staff as well, because like they said, the nurses are there 12 hours a day. So having that collaboration with the nurse and the family caregiver that's hopefully there, I was fortunate that uh, my husband was there a majority of the time, Um, just so there's a lot of a lot of opportunities for communication to say, okay, this is what's working. This is what's not working. Try this, but don't try this. This mm-hmm. is what she likes. This is what she doesn't like. You know, I, I emphasize it again. UCSD did a amazing job with that communication and uh, making sure all team members were all on the mm-hmm. same page and everybody knew, hey, this is working for her. Let's do this. But mm-hmm. no, this is not working. We need to ditch that and go with this.
0: So talking about communication, this is the Speechless SLP podcast. Tara and Jess, what was it like working and what is it like working with somebody who is speechless and does not have the ability to communicate in a verbal form?
3: Yeah, this is Jess. Um, I, I think that's when we collaborated maybe a little bit more behind the scenes that Vanessa, you probably didn't even see, but we talked to the speech therapist, you know, during rounds, how, what's the best way we're communicating with this patient. I know you wrote a lot. Um, I remember your, your left hand was a little stronger than your right one. And you were, we tried the letter boards. Um, we, she ended up writing a lot. I remember the first time we heard your voice and that is just, I, those moments are so special. Um, I know speech was really focused on the inline PMV and working on passing mirror and getting, getting that part of her voice back. But I I think Dale was her voice. I really do for a while because he was there all the time. And, um, you know, she could write to us and use the boards, but he was, he, he was your voice. I, I don't know. (laughs) He knew what your goals were and, um, he advocated for you. And I just, as much as we, Tried to communicate with you. I I feel like we Dale was a key um, in that communication.
2: All right. Any thoughts? I think what really helped too was the fact that Vanessa, to put it blankly, was cognitively intact. Because a lot of times the patients in the ICU settings are not, and they aren't able to verbally communicate. They might be with it somewhat, but that complicates things as well. But because Vanessa was able to. I mean, you could really just come into the room and look at her face and kind of know what she was feeling. And a lot of times that was anxious and and fearful and um, motivated, though. Um, but you really could read how she was feeling. She was able to gesture. She was able to you know, use those nonverbal forms of communication, which really helped us because we it guided us to know how she was responding to different things that we were doing with her.
0: Excellent, you guys talk about the connection you have with the family and with the the caregivers the spouses. How do you build up that trust with them?
2: There is a, a piece of um, investigation in that as well because there it depends how willing the the family member is to um, being involved how how involved they want to be in the care, and you do have to respect that as that as well um, the Great thing about Dale was he was all in, so it made it so easy to collaborate with him on and and uh, provide you know ed- education to him or things he could be doing with Vanessa because he was just so receptive. And at a time when, of course, knowing how skilled Vanessa is as an SLP and the fact that she knows so much about the healthcare side of things, when you're in that state, I. I can't speak for Vanessa, but you could kind of see you're not able to be as receptive to a lot of that education. So Dale was really that valuable intermediary Mm -hmm. player in in just receiving that education and all the, all the things that we were kind of providing that Vanessa may not have been able to fully receive in that moment, but it takes, it, it takes a lot of just communication and letting Letting family know, giving a lot of reassurance, a lot of positive feedback about how their family member is doing, and just again, giving them that hope that that we're preparing you for life outside of the hospital. We're trying to get you to that next step Mm -hmm. and um, being just very transparent with everything going on. I Mm -hmm. think that really helps build that that trust, too. Good.
3: Jess? I I think Dale had a lot of questions, too, which I really liked. And um, it was good to set clear expectations of what we were going to do today and um, what our goal for next treatment would be and what we were going to carry over with the nurses, what we wanted the nurses to do overnight, what their homework was for the day. Um, You know, Vanessa needs to be up in the chair this many times a day. We're going to, you know, our next goal is going to be walking. I remember when we went outside and I do remember, both Vanessa, but also Dale were very anxious a little bit about that first time we kind of put her on that portable ventilator mm-hmm. and, and did the whole, the whole team outside. And we sat down at a picnic table, line, all lines, ventilator, everything. Um, and I remember with all those lines and every, everyone was kind of anxious, both Vanessa and Dale. And I think after that one day where we did that portable ventilator, we just, like built rapport with him. Yeah. I mean, just the more we did, um, and kind of showed them that we know what we're doing, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and that it was making a difference, just made them feel more confident and they're in our care with them. And, um, I remember actually being a little intimidated Vanessa, that you're a speech therapist. I'm like, that's coming back a little bit. I was like, oh, she probably knows a lot about this. You know, and <laughs> I was like, I felt like I had to be On my, like, best. Yeah, you do. (laughs) Yeah. But it's
0: one of our own. Yeah. So So, I hear you coming and saying that the family and the patient comes from a place of fear. And as therapists, we come from a place of possibilities and strength and knowledge. So... I really like that juxtaposition and before every podcast, we always connect and you and Vanessa were laughing because you were calling something noodles. Oh yeah. You want to tell us that story? Yeah. So at
3: our hospital at UCSD, we have a department that's called child life. Um, and they do a lot of things for, for our patients. We have, we're have we a burn center, so I feel like they, they mostly work with our burn population because we do get pediatric patients there. But there are cases um, when we have patients on other floors that aren't necessarily a pediatric patient. But for v- Vanessa, it was her daughter, Mackenzie. Um, they were planning for Mackenzie to come in and see her. I don't know how long you had been here, Vanessa, a couple weeks, I think. Um, But they were planning on bringing her and they didn't know what the best way to do it. They were fearful of all the lot, her seeing everything. Um, And so Child Life came in and they had some great ideas. um, But one of them was calling the different lines, different names. So they talked about the NG tube and, you know, we can call it a noodle to Mackenzie and it won't be as scary. (laughs) And they made a teddy bear. Um, They made two. Is that right, Vanessa? They made two um, and they, they made it with all the lines. They put a trach on the teddy bear and the NG tube and they set up the whole room and it was just such a special uh, moment. And Vanessa can probably tell you more about how, what it felt like for her, but.
1: Yeah, they're, they're amazing. Just amazing. They knew how to take a very scary Mm
2: -hmm.
1: moment for a child and make it a little bit softer, a little bit sweeter, a little bit less scary. Mm -hmm. um i was so grateful for them because that was a moment i was terribly anxious over Mm -hmm. up all night thinking about having my child come and see me in this state and um yeah calling the tubes the noodle it was it definitely lightened the load and it brought a smile to her face as opposed to wow why is there these tubes in your nose and why is mommy in this position last time i saw her she was you know, running around with me. So it was a really nice nice thing that they did for their patients.
0: So more an opportunity for curiosity rather than trauma, possibly.
2: Absolutely. All right, final. Go ahead. Tara, go ahead. I just remember Vanessa's daughter, Mackenzie, being in the back, just in the back of everything we did um, when I walked in. To my first time into her ICU room, and there were pictures all over on this one wall of Mackenzie and her beautiful family, and and I realized immediately you realize immediately like this is what we need to get her well to to get back to her because she just was and talk about rapport and all that. I mean, when you have a child, you need to get back to. I mean, that's why, and I know that was in the back of Vanessa's head mind and that was in the back of our minds is just, we already know she's going to be motivated because of this. So um, we just need to kind of run with that and, and um, just do it for Mackenzie.
0: Going back to that motivator. Mm-hmm. Last question, everyone. I'm excited to ask this to PTs. What do you wish that SLPs knew about your job? One. <laughs>
3: Um, well, I think in a sense, we can kind of look at our profession as a parallel to, to speech therapy. We're all kind of working towards similar goals. Um, we all kind of go in and do assessments and we learn all these skills. And I think the biggest piece of advice as a as a new therapist, whether you're a speech therapist, an occupational therapist, a physical therapist, is just to take a step back sometimes from just all the skills and all the objective measures and all the assessments you're doing and just look at the patient as a a whole person and then see if you can pull these aspects of the patient's life and what's meaningful to them and just build it in with your treatment because that's where you're really going to make the biggest difference. And I think we all are reaching towards the same goal, right? Mm -hmm. So we can kind of support each other um, throughout a rehab department and um, collaborate and then just learn more and respect each other's opinions and thoughts.
2: I love it. Tara? Already do. I think there's a lot of respect between the disciplines, but I, I find it the most valuable is when we do have those moments of collaboration because I can't tell you how many times I've asked a speech therapist about a patient, um, either before or after and gained some just really valuable insight about the patient that I otherwise would not have known. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're just, we're, we're going in, like Jess said, with kind of similar goals, um, and, a and a rehab, um, focus, but we are, and then at an ed- at the end of the day looking at, mm-hmm. um, we have different skill sets, and we are looking in through a different lens. So um, those conversations and that collaboration can be so, so valuable and um, is necessary when we, especially when we are talking about the patient as a whole and um, having those, the best outcomes for the patient is when the whole team is collaborating and, and communicating.
0: I wanna squeeze one more question in because as clinicians, we should all be working to just be better, a little better every day. How has working with Vanessa changed your perspective on being a PT? I
3: think this is Jess. Um, I think Vanessa, as you can see, is very special to us. And we've maintained connection with her outside of, it's been three years. I think it was April of 2019. So it's been a little over three years. And That She just made a lasting impact because one, her motivation, um, the progress she made, and the fact that we've stayed connected to her and we don't really get that that connection in the acute care setting, we a lot of times don't know what happens to our patients when they go on to that next level of care, and she gave that to us, um, and it just it made us feel, at least me personally, like what we did made a big difference. And she's always so thankful to us. And I just, it makes, I don't know, it makes me emotional thinking about it because a lot of times we don't get that follow through. And I just know that we made a big difference in her life. And I don't know if she realizes it, but she made a big difference in our lives too. Mm -hmm. She taught us a lot.
2: Yeah, yeah, Vanessa's the first patient that I've had keep in contact with me for this long. I'm just always going to be so appreciative of Vanessa for keeping in touch with Jess and I, mm-hmm. because seeing how the care she received at UC translated into such meaningful progress in her day-to-day life, and that her up, she would give us updates um, of her workouts. She gives us videos of her just doing amazing at um, all her strength and uh, cardio and all her training that she was doing after the hospital and to see she still had that fire and it was it, it was continuing after the hospital all her great work and progress it was again just amazing and remarkable she's just a remarkable human being so I think we're all can agree we're just so blessed to have met each other and gone on this journey together and i think a takeaway too for for
3: people who may not get that carry through with patients every day is just to know that you are making a difference and you m- might not stay connected to some of your patients but just know that what you're doing matters and um, every little thing we went on a hike with Vanessa when was it? I don't remember when it was, but Mackenzie came and Dale came and they drove all the way to see me. Yeah, we did a big hike and it was um, just, it was really cool to, to see her.
1: Yeah, it's always important for me since I left ICU to continue to show my gratitude towards everyone that did so much for my entire family. You know, I'm in the field. I'm not a med SLP, but I know what it's like to be on the front line And sometimes you go home thinking, did I do enough? Am I enough? Um, Am I appreciated? And, you know, for me, I always wanted to make sure my team knew how much I appreciated everything that they did, the communication you guys had with the team. And uh, I just know what it's like. Sometimes you feel you come home and you feel like you've been beat up all day. And I never wanted you guys to feel that way. I wanted you guys to always feel like you were making a difference because you really did and still do. -hmm. Well, thank thank, you. Thank
0: you, everybody, for coming on and sharing your stories and your wisdom, your insight, your soul. And thank you, Vanessa, for this opportunity for the speechless SLP podcast. Thank Thank you you so much for having us. So, hey, SLPs, that concludes this episode of the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. Please visit my website at freshslp.com, follow me on Instagram, or jump on Facebook to connect in our safe and friendly Fresh SLP community where we are empowering new and transitioning SLPs. If you found value in this episode or in any way had an aha moment or I gave you a fresh perspective, please show me some SLP love and support me on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app or subscribe to me on YouTube. You got this.